could remain standing, please, before the ladies come and sing, uh, I wanted to recognize that this is the 15th anniversary of the episode of 9-11. And I'm sure many of us can remember where we were and where, you know, what was going on in our lives the day that that happened. And I am so grateful uh, that the Lord has preserved us for these many years. And we've not seen anything of that scale or scope uh, happen in our nation. But what a significant event. Uh, one of the defining events of many of our lives as we look at it. And we know that when that happened, our life as we know it forever changed. So I thought it would be appropriate uh, before they come and sing. And I think their song, you are doing wonderful, merciful Savior, is so appropriate upon this occasion. But I wanted to take a moment uh, to give you just to reflect for just a second upon those events. And I want to pray uh, a prayer thanking God for his preservation and also asking God's uh, help for those families uh, who still their loved ones are gone. And so just take a moment and think just for a second and uh, have a moment of reflection. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then the ladies are going to come and sing, I think, the most appropriate song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow again in your presence. And we thank you for your preservation and for your protection and we thank you, Lord, as we look back upon these many years where we cannot forget, we must not forget the event that took place in our nation. And Father, I thank you that you have protected us since that time. And Lord, we enjoy great freedom today. Father, we give you all the praise and all the honor. And we ask for those that are defending our freedoms even as we speak. Lord, from a local level to law enforcement all the way to the highest office in our land, we pray, Lord, that you would work and move in hearts. And Father, I pray for the families of the victims of that horrible time in our nation's life, as I'm sure today is a very difficult day for them, that you would just minister to their hearts and those that do not know you, you would bring them to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who do, that you would strengthen them. And support them in the way that is needed today. We love you and we praise you and we thank you that you are indeed a wonderful, merciful Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Turning your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 25 as we continue our brand new series called He's Still Working on Me, The Life of Jacob. And I'm enjoying, this is a, a character that I've wanted to study for some time now uh, from God's Word. And I think it's going to be a most beneficial study together. But uh, Genesis chapter 25, please. And while you're finding your place in Genesis 25, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a bad decision? (laughs) Have you ever made a bad decision? I was reading this past week about some of the most famous missed business opportunities in history. These are missed business opportunities in history. So um, let me put my business oops uh, board up here. And I want to share with you some of the most uh, famous missed business opportunities. First of all, there was a fellow by the name of Ronald G. Wayne. You ever heard of Ronald G. Wayne? Anybody? Well, believe it or not, Ronald G. Wayne was actually the third co-founder of a company called Apple. You ever heard of the company called Apple? Uh, some of you may have Apple products on you right now. I use it every single day. Well, Wayne was the third co-founder of the company Apple And he decided that just two weeks after uh, the company launched, he would sell his stock shares. And at the time, he sold them for $800. Now, if he would have held on to them at the time of this article I was reading, they would have been worth at that time $40 billion. That's where the B, $40 billion. Oops. Yeah, that's a bad decision as far as business is concerned. Eight hundred instead of forty billion dollars. Well, nobody heard of Ronald Wayne, but I'm pretty sure we have some here probably heard of this next fella, Shaquille O'Neal. You ever heard of Shaq as he goes by and uh, basketball player? If I remember correctly, not so great at the free throw line. But anyway, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. And I understand that Shaquille O'Neal was offered the opportunity to invest in a coffee company, but he decided not to invest in this company. In fact, let me give you what Shaq said verbatim. Here's this quote. Here's what Shaquille O'Neal said. Quote, black people don't drink coffee, sir. I don't think it's going to work. End quote. You want to know who he said that to? He said it to Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Oops. That's just oops. You know, sometimes you make a minor mistake and no big deal. It's not life altering. It's not life impacting. But then sometimes you make a mistake and it is life altering. And even sometimes, beloved, we can make mistakes that affect eternity, all eternity. Uh, Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and um, they ate that forbidden fruit. It's a long time ago, right? But yet here we are still reaping the consequences of that bad decision. Someone else hears the gospel, maybe hears it repeatedly, and they decide to reject the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they die and they end up in a horrible place called hell. You know, we make our decisions, then they turn around and end up impacting us either for good or for evil. Our decisions have an impact upon our lives. And I'll just be blunt as we study in Jacob's life this morning. We find some bad decisions in this passage we're about to study together. 
In fact, believe it or not, each member of the family makes a bad decision in this passage. And as we read the passage, I think you'll see right away uh, the decisions that were made that were poor decisions. Now, I got to mention to you that last week, whether you were here or not, last week when we left Jacob and his twin brother Esau, Esau is actually the oldest, Jacob was the second born of these twins, uh, they were newborns, they were still in diapers, and uh, there's rejoicing in the household. But now as we come to our passage today, same chapter, we go to the very next verse, uh, many years have passed. In fact, we don't know exactly how old they are at this time, but they were at least young men. And many years have passed the lives of Jacob and Esau and their parents, Isaac and Rebekah. And so I want you to look there with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to pick up the story at verse 27. Genesis chapter 25, verse 27. It begins by saying, so the boys grew. Now, we could just stop preaching on that for a while. I've got three boys at my house, as you know, and you so many of you have had sons. And that's one thing that boys do isn't it? they grow and as they grow, they eat a lot more. But anyway, that's a side note. So the boys grew. We don't know how old they are. They're at least young men here. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. The Bible says, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let me ask you, did you spot any bad decisions in that passage of Scripture? I believe every single member of their family, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, made a bad decision in that passage. Now listen, if we'll be wise, we'll listen, we'll learn, so we don't make these same mistakes in our lives. Now, a wise person looks at somebody else's choices and somebody else's mistakes, whether it be in the scriptures or in the news or in real life, in their own life, and they look at it and say, hmm, look at what they did. I'm not going to do that. They learn from other people's mistakes. And then you have people that may be a little bit more hard-headed and stubborn. And they look at that and say, well, they had that. I don't think it'll work that way in my life. And they go make the same mistake. But if we're wise, we'll look at their lives and we'll listen and learn and not repeat these mistakes in our lives. There are many lessons here. There are many directions I could take you in this passage, I think. But I'm going to focus on three lessons in particular. And we're going to jump in with both feet in the deep end. Okay? Number one lesson I want to mention to all of us today is this one. Don't play favorites with your children. Don't play favorites with your children. We see that's exactly. Now, listen, if you only have one child, you can take a nap. 
But, but even then, you've got to be careful. Why? Because if you have one child and you dote too much, they become selfish and self-centered and all that. So you've got to be careful then. But don't play favorites with your children. That's exactly what Isaac and Rebecca were doing here. And nothing good is going to come from playing favorites. Now, you have these twin boys, but they could not have been any different. They were different not only in their looks, and they were different in their looks. They were different in their personalities, their temperaments, their desires, their interests, their activities. Isn't it amazing that you can have children living in the same home, in the same circumstances, with the same parents, and yet they are so different? It's amazing to me. You meet a family and say, is that really her sister? Are you serious? Are you sure they're brothers? Yeah. Same home, same circumstances, same same uh, parents, yet they're so different. Now, Esau was a fellow that many of you fellows would probably enjoy hanging out with. He was a rugged sportsman. He loved to hunt. And he loved being out in the field. And to be honest with you, a lot of commentators, it's amazing when you start studying people's lives and you start digging in and you read sermons and commentaries and studies and all this to see what kind of angles people bring to it. And you'd be amazed that a lot of people find fault with Esau because he was a hunter. And they say, well, he was a hunter. And they read a lot of stuff into that. They said because he was a hunter, he was shirking the family business and he didn't care about anybody else and all I think that's reading too much into it. He was a hunter. He enjoyed out hunting. He enjoyed being in the field. Um, He loved the outdoors and the like. Now, Jacob, the scripture says here in the New King James, says he was a mild man. Um, It has the idea that the language there being uh, an even temperament. It can have the idea of maturity there. Uh, But but whatever exactly it means, we know that he was a homebody. It says he was a mild man uh, who was dwelling uh, in tents. Um, many take this to mean that he was involved and occupied with the family business. He spent time around home, dwelling in the tents, helping with the herds, helping with the, the fields there. But needless to say, these guys were different. And their parents noticed the differences and sad to say their parents picked the one they liked the best and they played favorites. Now, Isaac especially loved Esau. Why? Well, the scripture tells us because he ate of his wild game. He ate of the wild meat. Whenever their church had the wild meat festival, they were the first two to sign up. I mean, they were there. They loved that wild. And we have folks here They love that wild game. And so that's why he says, I, I just really, really love Esau. He's a hunter. He's, he's skillful. And he brings me that good old deer meat that I love. But then it says, Rebecca loved Jacob. Why? Well, we have to guess. It doesn't say particularly. It just says that she loved him. Perhaps because he was always around the house. Perhaps because he was always there. Uh, perhaps she's the one who taught him to cook in the first place. Maybe he hung around and he learned to cook from her. Now, you have to know that this playing favorites did nothing but cause even more resentment between Jacob and Esau. In fact, if we continue studying, we see that their relationship was not the best. Uh, It was not, oh, brother, let me serve you here, have an extra bowl. No, it was each man out to get what they wanted in their time, which was now. And so the very first lesson And many would skip it, but I think it's an obvious lesson is this. Don't play favorites with your children. Just ask Isaac and Rebecca. And we see there's some real problem. Now, here's a very important lesson. 
And if you don't get any other lesson, get this one. The second lesson I think we have here is this one. Don't sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. Don't sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. Now, you remember that Esau was the oldest twin. He was the firstborn. And in that culture, the oldest born had the birthright and had the blessing. Now, I think it's important we talk about what the birthright was, because that's what this whole passage is about, that Jacob is going to get the birthright. Well, what was the birthright? Well, Esau would have been, as the firstborn, entitled to a double portion of his father's possessions. He would have got a double portion. Uh, He also would have been the tribal or family head. He would have been the one that was the leader. And this was known as the birthright. And when it comes to Jacob and Esau, because of their grandfather, Abraham, and the Abrahamic covenant that God had promised to bless Abraham and all his descendants, and he was going to send the Messiah through his line, whoever got the birthright and the blessing in this particular family would be an heir to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this birthright and blessing, we'll study the blessing next time, God willing. But this birthright was a big deal. It was a double portion. It was being the leader of the family and the tribe. And in this case, it was also being the ancestor of the Messiah. And with this blessing and birthright came tremendous uh, responsibility and tremendous blessing within itself. But Jacob here, he was a schemer and conniver. But Esau decided to throw away the birthright for a bowl of stew. I've called today's message a birthright for a bowl of stew. Look at verse 30. He comes in from hunting, tired, famished, starving. He smells Jacob's stew. Verse 30. Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same. Now, notice the next word. The same red stew. For I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Now, we read last week that Esau came out of the womb red and hairy all over. And in fact, the name Esau means hairy. And Edom here means red. And he was the father of the Edomite people. And so Edom may have been his nickname. I could call somebody red. So he was hairy and red. And it's interesting that the author of Genesis here mentions that this was red stew. Therefore, his name was called Edom. He was red. The stew was red. There's some significance there. But instead of just dishing up a bowl of stew for his brother out of compassion and love, as I'm sure everybody here would do, your brother comes in, he's hunting, he's been hunting, he's tired, you're cooking up a big pot of stew. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, man, do you want, how big a bowl do you want? Instead, Jacob sees an opportunity. And in verse 31, he says this, sell me your birthright as of this day. What? Jacob, really? A birthright for a bowl of stew? What an incredible statement. What an incredible demand. For a bowl of stew, he's asking for the birthright. But even more incredible is what Esau says next. Verse 32. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Now, we're not sure here if Jacob, I mean, Esau's just being ultra dramatic like, like we do. So I'm about to starve to death. And we could live 10 weeks without anything to eat. And we wouldn't starve anyway. I could. But we don't know if he's being ultimately dramatic here or if he was referring ultimately to his death sometime in the future. 
And he says, hey, you know, it's just a birthright. I'm going to die. Something might happen to me out in the field. What's it to me? And he decides, I'll just give up a birthright for a bowl of stew. And Jacob here is kind of like a, how can I say this, a, a shady used car salesman. You ever been around a shady used car salesman? And he pounces the seal of the deal. Verse 33. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. Swear it to me. Make it formal. Make it official. Today. Make it right now. Sign right here. And the Bible says, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Can you believe that? He sold his birthright for bolus too. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said it this way. No food except the forbidden fruit was as dearly bought as this broth. A birthright for bolus too. Look at verse 34. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. I mean, he threw him some bread. <laughs> how kind of him. Hey, here's the stew. Here's some bread to go with it. And then notice how Esau responds. Because all this is significant. Why? Because it's the word of God. Then Esau ate and drank, arose and went his way. And the scripture declares at the end of verse 34, thus Esau, what's the next word? Despised. Despised his birthright. Notice that he didn't even savor the stew. He just slurped it down, wiped his mouth off and went out about his way. John Butler had some enlightening words. He said Esau's willingness to sell his birthright reveals his great spiritual poverty. He would sell his claim to Christ for nothing more than a bowl or two of lentil pottage. No one ever made a worse deal. No one ever bartered away more. Judas sold out on Christ for 30 pieces of silver, but the silver was worth more than the pottage. But compared to Christ... Both the pottage and silver were nothing but trash. Jump for Jesus could be the epitaph written on the tombstones of Esau and Judas. Think about that. What they sold for such a small price. Jump for Jesus. But don't take Butler's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Consider what God says about this. Because God talks about this in the New Testament. It'll be on the screen in front of you. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. Notice what God says about it. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now, wait a minute. We didn't know that yet. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his what? Sold his birthright. Look at verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, we'll study that next week, God willing. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. The scripture there calls Esau a fornicator and a profane person. That idea of fornicator there means he was immoral. He was an immoral person. And the idea there of profane means he was godless or unholy, depending on what translation you're using today. It may actually translate it that he was an unholy person or a godless person. He sold the eternal for the temporal. He chose the flesh over faith. And in fact, the next time we read about Esau in the Bible after this episode is in the very next chapter. Put your finger in 25. Look across the page or flip the page to chapter 26, verse 34. We read about the fornicator, the immoral, godless person Esau. Genesis 26, verses 34 and 35. 
Genesis 26, 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives, plural, not one, two, wives, Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Now notice verse 35 of Genesis 26. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Beloved, this one decision impacted his life forever. And how many times are we like him? You know, there are those that decide to live for this world rather than for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they hear the gospel. They recognize, they're told, the Bible says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God loves you so much. He sent Jesus Christ to take your sin upon himself. He, he shed his precious blood. He died on the cross. He was buried. He arose again. And if you'll simply turn from your sin and take him as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved and have forgiveness of sin and eternal life and a home in heaven. And yet they reject it. And they're left with this world and what this world has to offer. And they spend their years striving for what this world can give them. And yet the scripture says, what about them? What shall it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their own soul? Giving up the eternal for the temporal. But, you know, it's not just lost people that do that. Did you know that those of us who follow Christ as Lord and Savior, we too can be guilty of making the wrong choice. We too can be guilty of sacrificing the eternal, the altar of the temporal. We can get our eyes off of Christ. And we can get our eyes on living for money. And entertainment. And sports and power. And a position and a job. You know, we could even make a God, false God, out of our family even. We exalt them even in the place where Christ should be. And when we live like that, beloved, we hurt our joy. We hurt our testimony. And yes, even our eternal rewards. Now, yes, if we know Jesus, we'll go to heaven. But imagine standing before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ when he looks at our life. And it's not about heaven or hell. That's settled at the cross. But you're there before him. You're going into glory, but he looks at your life. And when it comes to eternal rewards, you stand as a pauper. Because you chose the temporal, those things that were passing away over the eternal. Imagine standing empty handed at the judgment seat of Christ. And that will be the case for those who continue to make the wrong choice. Think about this choice that Esau made here. You say, well, it's just a bowl of soup. No. He despised his birthright. And it impacted not only him, but his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. And on and on and on. Beloved, our decisions matter. Your decisions matter. And your decisions do one of two things. They either lead you closer to the Lord or they lead you away from him. Think about that. Your decisions lead you closer to the Lord or away from him. So the question is to look at our decisions. Your decisions impact your children. They impact your grandchildren. Your great-grandchildren. If you don't believe me, just ask Isaac and Rebekah. Just ask Jacob and Esau. One author noted, when a moment of decision comes to you, look into the future. 
Look into the future. Think about the next generation. The choices you make now determine your children's spiritual lives for years to come. Not only about you, but as a parent of younger children, that is a humbling thought to me. That is a scary thought to me. To realize decisions I make today impact them and their children and their children. How, we, how dare we not get on our knees before God and cry out, Oh God, help me not to mess this up. Help me not to get this wrong. If we're going to be a parent, a grandparent that is in line with God's word, we need to get the basics right. You say, well, preacher, what are the basics? Matthew 6.33, God first. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We have to get the basics right. So how does that play itself out? Well, things like today, church attendance. Can I just say, beloved, that church attendance is more important than dance and softball and volleyball and baseball and football and any ball and chess and scouts and science club and anything else you can imagine. This is more important. Why? Because it says to our children, it says to our grandchildren, listen, God is first in my life. It's one of the basics. Obedience to the word of God. We don't do that in our home. Why? Because God says that's wrong. The importance of prayer, the importance of Bible reading, the importance of service, reaching other people for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel and the like. The basics, the basics. How many Christians, beloved, are sending mixed messages with their lives and their choices? There are those who would say, oh, I love Jesus. He's the most important thing in my life. God is first. Maybe they wear a t-shirt. God first. And yet in reality, he takes a back seat to everything and anything in their life. And Jesus is kind of an add-on. Listen, Jesus is never an add-on. Jesus is Lord. He's master. We are his servants. But how many? Listen, in the moment of decision, look into the future. Think about the next generation. The choices you make can determine your children's future, their spiritual lives for years to come. Why? Because you're not just communicating with your mouth. You're communicating with your choices, your decisions, and your life. You can speak to your blue in the face about how important Jesus is, but they don't see it in your life. Beloved, you're just a hopeless cause. I hate to be so strong, but it's the truth. Make sure your decisions honor the Lord and line up with his word. Well, we've got to hurry. Don't play favorites with your children. Don't sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. Now, one more lesson and we're done. This is an important lesson too. Jacob had to learn this lesson. And the truth be known, we do too. It's this one. Don't try to make God's will happen in your life. Don't try to make God's will happen in your life. I told you when you go back and you study the scripture and you study commentators and people that write on the Bible and and sermons and things. There are people that want to whitewash this incident in Jacob's life and they want to kind of make it look better. And they explain away his actions. Well, he really didn't. It looks like he was scheming. It looks like he was kind of shady. But listen, that's ludicrous. I'm just going to be blunt and say what he does here is deplorable. It's absolutely deplorable. He takes advantage of his hungry brother and he schemes to get what he wants. Now, we know from last week's study 
that God told Rebecca that Jacob was going to be the one that the younger was going to be served by the elder. He was going to have the birthright. In fact, if you look up in the same passage, we're in Genesis 25, 23. This is what God says to Rebecca. 25, 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. That would have been startling, wouldn't it? No wonder I felt so bad. There's two nations. No, anyway. Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. Now notice the next part. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. That was not the cultural norm. And so Rebecca knew that. We don't know if she told Isaac that. I would assume she probably did. And we don't know if she told Jacob that. But I would imagine as they're hanging around the house and cooking it, this, oh, mom, I love you and all, you know, well, honey, I don't know if I ever told you, but the Lord spoke to me and he said that you were going to be the one. We don't know, but I have to assume that they shared that. But even though it was God's will that Jacob would be the one, he'd be the one to be blessed, he'd carry on the birthright. It was not Jacob's prerogative to make sure that it happened. Don't try to make God's will happen in your life. That leads to a lot of things. It can lead to frustration. It can lead, obviously, to fruitfulness. It can lead to sin and bad choices. What Jacob should have done is what we should do. He should have left the matter to God's will and God's time. But instead, he schemed in order to get the birthright. And he's going to do the very same thing with the blessing. And we're going to see that next week, God willing. And it's going to cost him greatly. And what he's doing here, he's not living by faith. He's living by sight. He's trying to make it. Was it a good thing? Yes. Is the birthright a great thing? Yes. Was the blessing a great thing? Yes. We're talking about not only the privileges of normal privileges of these things, but the line of the Messiah himself. But look at the way he went about getting it. It was deplorable. Warren Wiersbe said he had a friend a friend of his kept a card under the glass on his office desk. Remember the desk had the glasses there on the top. Of it. And underneath the card read this. Faith is living without scheming. He said Jacob could have used that card. Faith is living without scheming. But you're going to find that Jacob is a schemer. And if we're not careful, we too can do the same thing. Don't try to make force. God's will to happen in your life. Leave it to him. Because his ways and his timing is best. Now, it doesn't always feel that way. I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. When the Lord laid something upon your heart and you believe it's his will and yet it doesn't happen. And then you keep praying about it and it still doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And a month goes by and two months go by and six months go by and a year go by and two years go by. Three years, maybe on and beyond. The flesh wants to rise up and say, enough. We're going to make this happen. Beware. Beware. You're walking on dangerous ground. Step back and say, no, Lord. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to trust you, trust your will, trust your timing and allow you to work all these things out. Why? Because I know that is the path of blessing. If I decide not to and take it in my own hands, I may end up like Jacob. And I want you to be here and study with me Jacob's life and see what happens as the schemer continues to scheme. 
and see what God does. Now, let me ask you this question in closing. What has God spoken to your heart about this morning? Maybe you're here today and you need to be saved. You're living for this world. You're striving for this world. You've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ. Today is the day to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. Secondly, I'd never ask you to admit this publicly. I'd never ask you to let us even know you prayed about this. Or maybe there's favoritism in your life concerning your children or your grandchildren. Maybe they need to come and get that right and say, God, help me to love them as you love me unconditionally. Thirdly, maybe you're guilty of sacrificing the eternal on the altar of the temporal. Maybe there's some decisions you're making right now in your life or you're about to make. And you're about to make some decisions that are not good decisions. And they're not godly decisions. You need to come today and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be strong and make the right choice. And then finally, maybe you've been scheming to get your way. And manipulating and trying to work the things out. And trying to get with the right people and the right things. And maybe it's even a good thing. And it's God's will. But you're operating in the arm of the flesh. Maybe you need to come today and say, Lord, I, I repent. I'm sorry, I take my hands off. I can't do this. I give it to you. Let me just say this to you, beloved. Whatever God is saying to you today, respond to him in obedience and faith and respond now. And may I just say, and I believe I could say this categorically, you will never regret following the Lord's leading in your life. I mean, truly following him. You say, well, there'll be some hard times. Yes. There'll be some difficulty. Yes. There'll be some times you can't figure it out. Yes. But imagine standing before the judgment seat of Christ and hearing the words, well done. Well done. Thank you, Jesus. Only because of you and your strength and your help. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What's he saying to you today? Will you respond in faith? Father. Thank you for giving us Jacob's life. Lord, you in your sovereign mercy and grace elected him to be the one to carry forth the line of the Messiah. You chose him. You appointed him. And Lord, even though he was a schemer and a conniver and a manipulator, you worked in his life and you brought him about from being Jacob, the supplanter to Israel, a prince with God. Thank you for your patience and your love. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak. I don't know the needs of the people here, but you do. And I pray at this closing hymn that you would help people to respond in faith and obedience today. And do business with you. And mean business with you. So Lord, I give you all the praise and all the glory for what you're about to do in this place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 410 is our closing hymn. I hope you can sing it. If not, come today so you can sing it. It is well with my soul. The altar is open. I'd be happy to pray with you. If you come to Jesus today, we'd love to talk with you about that. Or if you just want to come today, because some of these are very personal matters. You come and kneel at this altar and get those things right. Don't delay. Don't wait. On the very first word, you step out. 410, let's stand and sing. It is well with my soul. Thank you.